0: That's IXL.com slash BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I just want to take a minute and remind you to check out ConradChallenge.org and look at the kinds of things you can do to support students. The Conrad Challenge is really about facilitating 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication. So go and check that out at conradchallenge.org. And if you missed my interview with Nancy Conrad, go check that out as well at transformativeprincipalorg slash Nancy Conrad.
1: I'm Steve Maletto from Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, Just like the show you're listening to right now, the opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to transformative principle.
0: I am excited for this interview. I say that every time, but the truth is I am, I am excited for these interviews because they're awesome. Now I have, what I love about this interview is that it was a referral from someone else. And so if you're listening to this and you know that there's somebody else who is an amazing principal that I need to interview, please uh, let me know. I'd love to interview them. And when I know a little bit about them from somebody else, then I know some good questions to ask and see what it is that they're doing. I do want to say one other thing. I talked to you last week about the five days to your best year ever by Michael Hyatt. That is a course that I'm an affiliate for that is awesome and has changed my life in many, many positive ways. And it is so good. You should definitely check it out. If you go to transformativeprinciple.org slash best year ever, then you can sign up. If you haven't done the life score assessment, you can do that first, then you can Sign up for the video series of Design Your Year, Goal Setting Secrets to Make 2019 Your Best Year Ever, and those videos are being released this week, so you can check those out and watch those, and even if you don't end up buying the course, just watching that video will certainly help you discover some of the secrets of making 2019 your best year ever, and as I mentioned last week, I love this program, it has helped me tremendously, Over the last several years. So I'm really excited about it. One of the ways that it helped me this year was I set a goal to not work after my wife went to bed, but to go to bed with her. And because of that, I've been getting a good solid eight hours of sleep almost this whole year. And I've had less time to work on things, but I produced our biggest and best transformative leadership summit this summer. Utilizing those practices, I've done amazing things. In my school this year, and I have a better relationship with my wife and my kids, I'm more patient. So this thing really is powerful. So go to transformativeprincipal.org slash best year ever, and check that out. And you're not going to regret it. I'm sure of it. Thanks so much. And here's my interview with John and Rachel George. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am so excited to have Rachel and John George on the podcast today. Rachel and John, welcome. Why don't you start by telling us who you are and why I have both of you on at the same time?
2: Yeah, sure. My name is Rachel George. I'm actually married to John George. We're both principals. Um, I'm at the elementary level. I'm in a pre-K to 5 building, about 420 kids, when you count all of our little pre-K kids, uh, going into year eight um, as a building principal. Started out as a middle school principal in Southern Oregon, and then moved up to the the metro area in Oregon with John after his Principal of the Year award.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm John George. Um, I'm currently a middle-level principal and have been a middle-level principal for about, I'd say, 15, 16 years of my career now. I've also Spent time at the district office as a executive director level, my 25th year in education. And uh, I always had to go back to the middle school though because I am a middle school student myself still. And
0: I tell everybody I meet middle school is the best place to be. It is uh, that's where I'm at also. And it is just so much fun. So good choice to stick around there. (laughs) It is. It is. All right. So it's not very often that I interview a husband and wife who are both principals. And are you guys in the same district or different districts?
2: We're actually in different districts. But when we started out, we were in the same district together. And uh, we were both middle school principals together. So you can imagine the dynamic when we led district-wide PD uh, and all the planning. We actually had another principal. There were three middle schools. And we called ourselves the three amigos because we kicked butt and really did some amazing changes. But when we moved up north, I wanted to try my hand at elementary. And so John stayed at the middle school and I went to elementary. And just the way that jobs lined up with when we relocated, um, we ended up in different districts. We had the opportunity to be in the same one, but we thought we'd branch out a little bit. So long story short, we're in different ones right now.
1: Gotcha. We actually... um went to different districts because her superintendent is a longtime friend of mine, and I didn't think he could handle both of us at the same time.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We get kind of intense (laughs) about work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I believe it. All right. So let's talk first about the work that you're doing at your individual schools. And uh, Rachel, do you want to start talking about what you're most excited about what you're doing right now?
2: Yeah, I would love to. So Sandy Green has been through like a significant amount of change. The year before I got there, uh, they were in the lowest 10% of Oregon elementary schools. And the interesting part about this is that they had been working with a very well-known publisher in reading and writing. I'm not going to say the name, but they had done a lot of work and a lot of money into really changing the school around. And, and it wasn't going so well. They actually were really shocked when the scores came out and and how kids did. And so the superintendent really gave me the direction of like, you need to fix this. Whatever this is, fix it. We will run cover for you. Just go. And so we did a lot of change that first year, a lot of conversations about what's our vision, what's our mission, what's our focus, and, and talking to stakeholders about strengths and weaknesses. And so we really really dug in and we went from after year 1 from just barely beating 10% i think it was like 9.5% of elementary schools we outperformed to beating about 50 which that was a big jump and that was also the first year of smarter balance um also had a really aging population of staff members um you know some of the statements that were made that first year to me were like hey rachel really if you think i'm going to do this i'm i'm your mom's age and i can retire at any time bring it on. And so a lot of different interesting conversations and challenges. And each year we've just honed in on our systems and structures, our academic support for kids, and really our focus of growing all students, regardless of where they come in at, at their level and just focusing on that growth. So at the end of year four, And again, starting at that, you know, below 10% of performing schools, we now beat 81% of elementary schools in the state of Oregon. And we're above state average in reading, math, and science. And we're at the top of the district. And the ironic thing is that we actually have the highest free and reduced rate within the district. And so we're a school that people have cast off oftentimes of like, you can't do this, it's not possible there. And we're doing the impossible. We're making some great changes and our kids are performing at really high levels and competing.
1: Well, and you've added four pre-K programs in that four-year time.
2: Yeah, that's been hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for throwing that in, John. That's why we have
0: both of you there. <laughs> exactly.
2: Yeah. you. I've had a full staff turnover in those four years. So in terms of professional development and vision and mission, we've had to review and review and review and pull people on board every year because those folks that said, bring it on, chose to leave or retired or um, weren't necessarily good for kids. And so with that staffing change, and then also, you know, pairing it with the student achievement scores and, and progress, it's been a really interesting ride that has been great and I'm looking forward to.
1: She's not competitive of all, at all, if you could. <laughs> yeah.
2: Very true. Yes. <laughs> So,
1: uh, oftentimes we
0: in education like go to these publishers or professional development leaders or whatever and think that their program or product, as they say, is a silver bullet that's going to fix everything. And obviously that didn't happen in your school. And, um, I imagine that their response would be that it wasn't implemented with fidelity if we asked them why it didn't work at that school before. But what did you move from, from that? program you were using, what did you move to and how did it, how was it different than what you were using before? Does
1: that question make sense?
2: Yeah, it totally does.
1: We kind of, the two of us and working together so often and so closely, you know, Jethro, we've developed kind of a system when we come into a new building. It's kind of a, a three to four year plan actually. And Rachel had phenomenal success with it, even with the huge staff turnover. And and we've talked about it before, and we've kind of written some things about it. But I think Rachel can best, you know, move that forward for you. No, go ahead. Well,
2: I mean, I can speak to the anytime, specific part about the program, but yeah. not the general.
1: Well, anytime you come into a building, I think, of course, the first thing, and everybody knows this, you got to establish your relationships, not only with the with the staff, but with the families, the community, the district you work in, and that's the, that's a big part of it. But at the same time, you got to be part you know, the the examiner of what's going on and really take a look at systems and structures. And I think that, you know, Rachel and I have both have both over time um, been able to come in and identify the specific holes in terms of intervention or enrichment for students that are or are not happening in, in the structure of the school day. So we really focus on those a first year when we ever come into a building. Mm-hmm. And then you know, along with the relationships and the continued focus on identifying your leaders in the building, whether they be classified or certified staff or parents in the community or on your site council, you know, working to get them on your side and really establish a vision. When I first came to McCarty, you know, I, I, I kind of turned around two buildings. My first one was down in Southern Oregon years ago and, and each building has its specific dynamics and needs when you go into it. Uh, my first building had a significant um, disciplinary issue and, uh, you know, no positive behavior systems or anything like that. So we really had to take a look and focus on that. You know, fast forward years later, and the new building I was in five or going on five years ago now, had really seen a population transformation. You know, 10 years before I got there, the demographics were, they were 85% white and below 30% poverty. Um, When I came on, they were Below fifty percent white, forty eight percent white, with a significant Hispanic population, Latino population, and above sixty-five percent poverty. So the approach you have to take when you come in to be transformative, as you say, or to to start down that path of change is different every building you go through. But it takes a keen eye and it takes student and staff voice to tell you what they think and believe needs to happen.
2: But thinking along the lines of Sandy grade and thinking about the fidelity and how they sunk a significant amount of money over five years into this, this author and this program and these residencies, there were three things that really came out that first year that were real big changes that needed to happen. And I was still in conversation with, with the gal that had been facilitating all of that. And the three themes were, you need to take it slow you can only do one thing at a time, which I didn't believe was true. We had a very capable staff and very capable students, and we weren't teaching to those high expectations, and we weren't pushing ourselves enough. So she often referenced, we just need to only start with writing, only writing, and then maybe in five years, take on reading, and then maybe in 10, take on math. And um, I didn't believe that that was the case, even at an elementary school.
0: Sounds like a good business plan.
2: Yeah, right. Because you just keep just to- <laughs> of money. Uh And uh, the second thing was that we were so integrated with our content, which integration is fantastic, but it was lost on the students that our writing and reading standards were so integrated to all the other content areas that the students weren't able to articulate what the main idea was, what supporting details were. Some of those really big hitters for the common core standards that you need to see uh, when you're talking the end in mind. And then, We didn't have engagement, (laughs) and students weren't participating. They were just actively—well, actively is not even the right word—passively sitting there, maybe making eye contact with the teacher, but the teacher was doing all the heavy lifting. And so, really trying to flip those on um, on their heads and really target uh, those—that was a big focus of what that first year was.
1: You know, Jethro, one of the things I think that people, when they hear us or they read things uh, that we write. Or communicate, you know, they think that we're oh we're just all about test scores or you know we're all about the Common Core and those things and that's not true. I mean, you know, we're the biggest fanboys of of Jimmy Casas and Culturize and and really establishing a community and and you know and Hamish and 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 you and the others you know that really focus on that culture. But our reality is the bar we're measured by, and and the thing that hits the paper is how our students perform and whether or not we like or agree with. That bar, that standard that we're held to that's important to us, and we emphasize that, and the two can go side by side and I think one thing that that has been so awesome that Rachel has done at her school is a level of community involvement and the activities that she provides in the evenings and things for parents and how she constantly invites them in and you know we try to do the same thing in my school and and it can happen and growth happens you know one of the things that we've seen it at in my building is we've gone from the lowest growth rates and the lowest academic achievement to some of the highest student growth rates in both math and language arts in the state so you know our our goal is it's all about the growth that's our motto we need to do different different cuz we're teaching a different population you know i mentioned earlier the the change in demographics but i still had the same white middle class staff when i started and and we really had to go a little bit slower and focus on how do we do different, different? What kinds of systems structures and really what kinds of best practice, what kind of methodology do we need to use in the classroom to teach not an, an 85% middle class white community, but a very, very diverse community with 17 different languages and an extremely high poverty rate. Yeah, I just, I
0: love the idea of using systems and structures to make change. And the thing that, you know, I've heard, I've heard other people say, no, you really have to go slow. And for the first three years, focus on this. And then five years later, focus on that. And my frustration with that is that in the meantime, we have all these kids going by that aren't getting the best that they possibly can. And so the idea of, of going. Like, I understand the idea that you need to go slow to go fast, but at the same time, you just, you've got kids going through your system that you're not serving well and you can't go so slow that, you know, you're going to miss, you know, in a K-5, you're going to miss
1: all of those kids if you take five years to implement something. You can't do that. We don't have time. My children have gone through my schools before. It's You don't have time to wait and do those things. You have to be deliberate. And, you know, my mantra is it's supposed to be hard. That's why they call it work. And for students, I tell students it's supposed to be hard. That's why they call it learning. But you have to move forward and change things that you see need to be changed if you're not getting the performance you need to have. If students aren't growing in your classrooms.
0: Yeah, so in episode 253 of this podcast, org slash episode 253, I talked about the change that my school is going through and how we are focused on one thing, which is personalizing learning for our students, which is we give kids what they need when they need it. Exactly. So that's what our focus is. And that's all that we focus on. And everything that we do needs to tie back into that one thing. However, that's not the only thing that we're doing. And so like we've got a hundred different ways of doing things right now that many of them are new to our teachers and to our students, but we're, we have that urgency that we need to be acting right now, not let's plan for this. And then next year we'll implement a fourth of it and the following year, a fourth of it in my school, it's only seventh and eighth grade. And so half of our kids are brand new each year. So there's no excuse for us to go slow because the kids are ready for us to go faster and you know we can't wait around for us to us to figure it out we've got to just start doing it and i just a real quick story i had a parent in my office just the other day who was concerned about how math was going and in our district last year we had 44% of our students who were proficient on our state test in math and like you said that's a metric that judges us and that's abysmal. <laughs> I mean, that's awful. And and I keep saying this, like if we're still doing what we did last year when we got 44%, that's on us. We are the ones who should be in trouble. Exactly, exactly. And not the kids, right? And so we're doing a lot of things different. We're doing a lot more project-based learning in math. We're doing a lot more Khan Academy. That is where kids are based on their math assessment. So we're trying to to serve our students much better and it's hard for our teachers. It's hard for the kids because it's much different from what they got in elementary school and what they got in our school last year. But it's like, I can't look at a parent and say, we can't do this because we did so poorly last year. We've got to make that change. And it's not like my teachers weren't working hard. They certainly were. But like you said, John, we have different kids than we did before. And, and we've got to
1: adjust what we're doing to meet their needs. Well, and, 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 I totally agree with that. And Rachel and I actually listened to that podcast and, and we wholeheartedly, uh-huh. you know, one of the things that's probably the most difficult is that mindset change in teachers, you know, or even um,
2: principals or
1: even principals. Yeah. But there's, there's a couple of things that we try to do in, in any building we're in at any time is we have to be the filter to keep the focus on, on what the most important thing is. You know, we teach to cause a positive result. And if we're not getting a positive result, be that in behavior, be that, you know, social emotionally, be that academically, then it is on us. And getting teachers to see that it is on us because we're the only ones that can control what happens on a daily basis is a difficult thing to do and it takes time. But when they see, you know, that upward tick and, and it's not only our scorecard, but it's also the the barometer for them that all that hard work, hey, there is something that happens at the end of the day. To where I can hang my hat on and say, "Yeah, I did good work," and pointing out those positives and celebrating those positives is a very important thing as you go down this path because it is hard work.
0: Yeah. So we've we've talked about your process for going into a new school. First thing is build relationships. Second is be the examiner of structures and systems, and then the third one so far, if I'm taking my notes right, was be the filter. What else do you need to do as you're going into a building to in to have some change?
1: Well. I think in that process that, well, I'll give you an example. When I came into my building, you know, we use a, a modified Danielson rubric for evaluation, for observation and evaluation in my district. And domain one in our rubric is planning and preparation. And I told my staff, I can't adequately observe and evaluate you in domain one unless I see your lesson plans. And I said, so I told them, So lesson plans will be due to me every Monday of every week. Because when I come into your classroom, I need to know what your game plan is. I need to know where your roadmap is. And that was a very difficult transition. I didn't ask for a specific structure in the first year. I didn't ask for specific things. They asked for examples of what I wanted. And I told them, of course, you know, the standard, the learning targets associated with the standards, the activities associated with learning targets, the tier one, tier two, tier three vocabulary that goes with those, you know, and, and every time they asked about the lesson plans, I would maybe add one more thing that I wanted to see. We're an avid school. So, you know, we've started to incorporate those, those avid strategies into lesson plans now. And that first year of the planning piece, you can't be an effective teacher. You can't be good at what you do without a game plan, you know, and that's the old coach in me coming out, I guess. But if you don't have a game plan, if you don't have a script, how in the world are you going to go in and be able to react or adapt on the fly so i think that that piece that planning and preparation and really being active and visible about it is vital to improving instruction in the classroom
0: yeah i'd i'd love to hear more about that because i have not found a way to effectively judge teachers lesson plans that i like and so I've been schools where teachers have been required to turn them in schools where they haven't. And in a lot of ways, to be honest, that feels like micromanaging to me from a, a managerial perspective. Can you talk me through that a little bit?
2: No, you bet. And, you know, turning in lesson plans is like a super controversial topic um, among administrators, among teachers you are know, completely spot on with that. The shift to making it more of like an instructional leader is that you actually look at them and you make them meaningful. And that's something that both of us do. That first and second year, there was a lot of professional development around tying your instruction back to the standards and tying them back into the priority clusters, into your power standards, and connecting it back to our work with collaborative, like grade level planning time, our PLC work. And so it's another way to just, make sure we're doing the right things. And as I've had a high staff turnover, let me tell you, it's been instrumental because the, the funny thing is that I will have new teachers that I mentor and work with and give a lot of feedback on lesson plans. And they outperform the people that were there prior to me every year um, because they're intentional about what they're planning. They're reflecting back on their process. For new teachers that are just coming out of like teacher school, this isn't something that was necessarily taught. Or they go into work sample mode where they're like super long lesson plans. And that's that's not what we're looking for. But they need some guidance and some coaching and some mentoring. It also tells me whether my PD is sticking or not. We've done a lot of professional development around active instruction, active participation with Kagan and also a lot of Anita Archer explicit instruction. And so we're looking for those aspects to be tied back in to see if they're trying those, if they're taking the risks so we can also celebrate those. And so I'm in classrooms every day. I'd like to be in there multiple times a day and I usually am. And that's something that shocks a lot of teachers. But I also have those conversations of like, hey, how's this going? I see this in your lesson plans. How can I help support you? Hey, that's a, that's a great idea. We haven't tried that before. How is it going? So it's just another tool to use. But I know some principals have written many blogs about getting rid of it um, and not collecting them because they can't find a way to manage it. And and I hear ya, but let me tell you, that's been a game changer. And I'm the only school in my district that does collect them and it's a cultural norm now. And it's something that we do.
1: You know, and there's two key components to that. Actually, three, if you look at it. One is it provides the opportunity for reflection too. And we're at the point now in our planning where I'm not forcing them to do it, but I'm asking them, You know, when they come back at the end of the week and write their next week's lesson plans to write a reflection back on what they did the previous week so that they can remember it. And, you know, while it was difficult in the first year, it wasn't really difficult, but there was some pushback. Teachers over time will actually begin to tell you it makes them better because they come into the classroom. They know what they're doing. They don't have to operate on the fly. They're not working helter skelter to decide what they're doing. But that reflection piece, then I use that as an opportunity for, for me to provide them feedback, but also for them to provide us feedback on what Rachel was talking about, Mm -hmm. the PD that we're developing. If what we're talking to them about in terms of professional development, whether it's Hammond's culturally responsive teaching, you know, trauma informed practice and all these things that are, that are hitting us now. If we don't have their opinion and can't see it in the way it reflects in a lesson plan, then we can't change our direction or shift our direction. So it's a it's a it's a key component of feedback, both for the teachers, but also for us as the leaders.
2: One of the things that's been a huge game changer is that year after year, we use them as a baseline and a point to jump off at. So as teachers stay, like a handful of folks that were there my first year that are still there, the conversation at the end of the year when we break down data and we talk about strengths and weaknesses and things that we can tweak for next year, and as we get into the following year... We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We all are on the same page with what we did, how we did it, the outcomes that it provided. So now we can start to tweak the process. So what's a change that we can leverage right here that's going to have a higher outcome for kids? Hey, this worked. Make sure we keep it. And so it's a very collaborative conversation that we then use to drive our instruction. It's like keeping your practice plans, you know. John Wooden kept all of his lesson plans or his coaching plans and modified them and had reflection points with him. So
1: she just read a book.
2: I did. It was a great book. <laughs> John Wooden was incredible. John Wooden on leadership. <laughs> it was impressive.
0: So one thing that I haven't thought about is how your PD is reflected in the lesson plans. I think that that is really powerful and that makes a lot of sense to me. So can you talk about the process that you go through to review and give feedback on the lesson plans and how that ties in with you being in classrooms? Because I think that's where the where the value really comes is is being actually in the classroom and not just reviewing documents and then, you know, giving feedback
1: on the documents. So talk a little bit about that part. Well, and at first, you know, um, when we talked about learning targets, we had to actually learn what a learning target was, how to break it down into kid-friendly language. And, and our students, the, the students that I, that I have in my population now, you know, they need to know the purpose of what the daily lesson is. so and, and they need to have that communicated. What am I supposed to learn and what am I supposed to be able to do at the end of the lesson, at the end of the period, right? So just that focus in and of itself really provides me the opportunity to go around in the classroom and talk to the kids when i do an observation and say hey what are you doing today what are you supposed to be learning so then i can get their feedback and then i can relay that to the teacher you know either on the fly or in a feedback session that we have after an observation i'm not in terms of observation evaluation and those kind of things i'm with you professionals or professionals and if you're doing your job and you're working hard and you're doing the things that need to make you better and help improve student achievement you're doing great but being able to see those things on the fly in the moment is very difficult instructionally planning formative assessment how are you going to gauge where you're at in the lesson and then and then moving down that path to make sudden tweaks or changes is probably the most difficult thing instructionally, in my opinion. I tell you what, if I was in the classroom right now, uh, I'm sorry I say it this way, but I would probably suck at it. I have a better eye for what's happening on the field than I do for playing the playing it out on the field. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure, sure does. Yeah. So, so this whole process that we go through, and I think I probably lost the question, maybe rambling right now. But- How do you
2: connect it back to your PD and give feedback?
1: Right. I can find things and I can see things universally that we need to come back and take a look at. So, for example, um, this past year, we just started implementing a co-teach model because we have a pretty significant uh, special education population in addition to a very significant ELL population. So I wanted to get out of the the skills based approach where the special ed teacher is really drilling and killing The basics with our, with our special education population or even our ELL population and push those teachers into the regular math and language arts classrooms with their core teaching peer so that they can on the fly operate and then go back to back with the skills based class. And that's had a significant impact on our, on our student growth in those areas. So those are the type of things. But in order to implement that, what the heck is co teaching and how the heck do I go about it? How how does the skill how does the special ed teacher the L L teacher come into a classroom and co teach because when we first started they would walk in they were just a glorified aide in the classroom yeah. yeah So common planning and preparation so spending time to walk down that path with staff is critical but you got to identify that need first yeah you know we we started doing um, co teaching in
0: our school last year and then we are pretty much full inclusion this year, which basically means that we start with kids in a a general education setting and then pull out when we see that there's a significant need for them to be pulled out. But it's few and far between and quite rare. And my daughter is actually at my school this year and she has Down syndrome. And, you know, there are there are things that you worry about as a parent that you also worry about as a principal. But there are things that you worry about as a parent that you never worry about as a principal because it's your own kid, you know. And the power and positivity that I'm seeing from my daughter being with her peers is such a stark contrast to last year where she was, you know, just inserted into the general classroom for a short time and wasn't building relationships here. Like I see these other kids that are like serving my daughter. She's serving them. They're actually friends. And, you know, for for me, sometimes I wonder if she's ever going to have any friends and I see now that she certainly can and that, you know, people do care about her and just that social piece is, is enough for me as a parent to say, I'm never pulling her out again because she, she wants to be with her peers. She doesn't want to be sequestered with, you know, a teacher and two other kids and, and never see the rest of her classmates again. So yeah it's it's really powerful and
1: and I love it. Well and and you know we have a big we have a since we have this a very our special ed population is is very diverse our students with disabilities you know we we run the gamut from just an academic uh deficit to you know severely handicapped in terms of their medically needs fragile. medically fragile and those and I I I'm probably not using the PC words and that but um, we have a significant peer buddy structure where one of the student electives is that they go in and they assist and they, you know, they work with the kids individually, et cetera, et cetera. And we're able to transfer that in the classroom too. And we've started, we've started to implement a little bit of work study for those, for our students to where they're helping in the student store and they're helping out with other activities that we, that we have. And it is, it's phenomenal the growth we see because, you know, 10 years ago, they are students those students weren't getting exposed to grade level curriculum they weren't having that time with their peers and and i i makes makes my heart swell to hear you say that because i see it every day and it's and it's very powerful and it's not just powerful for those students it's powerful for the entire population yeah and
0: just to add to that real quick one last thing about that grade level standards is my daughter would have never been exposed to any academic grade level standards and now she's in a regular social studies class and a regular math class and she can't do that level of math yet but every once in a while she she gets something that I wouldn't think that she would get and so for example in social studies she learned about hurricane michael a few weeks ago and actually understood what a hurricane was and that wasn't even on my radar for her you know and we live in Fairbanks Alaska we don't have many hurricanes So that wasn't important really for me educationally, but because she was exposed to it, she was able to reach up and grab that when it was meaningful to her. And that is, that is really powerful. And that, that's something that just can't be overstated enough that if they're exposed to it, they'll, they'll reach up and grab some things and they may not get everything. But you know what? Our other kids don't get everything either.
1: And so that's that's all right. And you know what's the most powerful thing about it is, in that push-in, is that your teachers learn to understand what accommodating instructionally is better. They're, they come to you and say, I'm not quite sure what to do. How do we go about this? So that in and of itself helps guide PD on, okay, how do we go about it? So we're blessed in my district to have a, a resource um, that's an employee, but also does co-teaching and accommodation modification a series of it, you know, she goes out and presents and things on her own too, and and that's been really powerful stuff. And getting our teachers to understand because those accommodations they don't just help students with with needs; they help all kids. Exactly.
0: Yep. And and you're not taking away anything by doing that. And the other thing about that is that the general led teachers start to see the students with special needs as their students and not somebody else's students. And I've had more general ed teachers come and say, "Man, how do I meet the needs of this specific student that they never paid attention to before because it was somebody else's problem?" And now they're asking. And when they do something to help that student, they're helping ten other kids in their class that yeah. that they wouldn't have been helping before. It's amazing. Yeah, it it's is very exciting. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I'm gonna split this interview over two weeks because next week we're going to talk about how to get involved in your local state organization for principals and they offer some good advice about the things they're working on and and how you can get involved as well so look forward to that next week in the meantime this week don't forget to go to slash best year ever so that you can Take the life score assessment if you have not, and then uh, join the video series, Design Your Year, Goal Setting Secrets to Make 2019 Your Best Year Ever. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I've really gotten a lot from doing this five days to your best year ever course. I've done it with my wife, and it has certainly brought us closer together and helped us out tremendously. So just want to say thank you for listening. Go to transformativeprinciple.org slash best year ever to take advantage of this great opportunity. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers' time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com/BE